And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am Ben Standing and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. Uh, coming to you guys on a Sunday night. Last week was a bonus week for the Washington football team. Consider this maybe then a bonus episode. It's still the holiday weekend. I hope everyone is having a good one um, out there. I, I struggle to believe that it is September. I mean, I understand it. I can read a calendar. It's actually been a little fall-like weather the last few days. Mentally, though, I'm still <laughs> deep into the summer and not – I do this every year. Labor Day weekend is always brutal. Um, it is a reminder of what's about to come. I don't mean the positives of, say, football season or sports. I just mean winter is looming, and I prefer the sunny days. But in any event, um, here's what we've got on the episode today since I'm going to make – like I said, turning this into sort of a bonus episode – um, we'll, we'll, I'll have a, a Chargers preview and a full-blown Washington football team preview later in the week. I just thought I would have a little fun here. And looking at the Washington roster, I always like this exercise. We talk typically about who are the best players, who are the most valuable players. What about the most indispensable players? What do I mean by that? I'll get to that in, in, in a second. But basically, you know, like look at the depth chart. Like if somebody goes down, you know, it's a combination of talent value and if somebody you know if something happens how much does that dramatically change Washington's world I'm sure a couple names come to mind but I think there may be some some uh subtle differences that, that could shape one's uh top 10 list I'll give you mine in just a few minutes in addition to that a couple weeks ago I talked to our friend J. Michael uh, to talk about the Wizards. At that moment, J. Michael was still the, the Indiana Pacers beat reporter for the Indianapolis Star. He has subsequently left the Pacers beat to go become the sports editor for the Orlando Sentinel, which is a great opportunity for him, and I'm excited for J. Michael. But he's obviously not only covered the Wizards in the past, he covered the Pacers, a team with Aaron Holiday, and he obviously was well aware of the Eastern Conference race. So we discussed sort of where the Wizards are this offseason. I don't think anything has really changed on the Wizards front since we spoke. So got into everything that's been kind of going on with them this offseason, so I will finally get that up for everybody here, uh, and of course, you can go read me over on The Athletic. If you still haven't subscribed, it's a great time to do so. We still have this 50% off subscription deal uh, going up for a few more days. I, don't, don't quote me on exactly when, but I think maybe through the week, or at least you know, with, with the season starting, uh, you know, it's a great way to get in. What, what else can I say? Obviously, it helps pay the bills. We always appreciate that. And of course, for this podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Always appreciate that. If you've missed any of the recent podcasts, uh, Greg Cosell gave us the X's and O's look at Washington. Uh, if you still haven't done your fantasy football draft, you can do that uh, with John Hansen. Uh, my conversation with John Hansen, uh, fantasy guru, host of the SiriusXM Fantasy Morning Radio Show. Uh, plus, we've you know I've had on Matt Paris, Adam Kaplan, a bunch of others. So you can check out all those episodes 
on the podcast. Um, all right, before we get into some that the, the the indispensable, it's just a couple quick notes. If you've been sort of uh, out and about, not paying attention, so Peyton Barber no longer with the team. He has signed with the with the Raiders, uh, and I reported that the other day. The Raiders plucked him off of Washington's practice squad to go to their fifty three. I'm not sure how closely Washington considered moving Peyton Barber onto the fifty three after. Um, they released him. They could have, you know, in theory, therefore prevented him from going to the Raiders. But obviously, they just made the decision to not put him on the 53. So it would be hard to imagine that there was much consideration at that point. But you never know for sure. They, at this moment, have not replaced him. There's still one opening on the practice squad. Uh, the obvious answer is to bring back Jonathan Williams, who was the other running back in, in camp. Uh, up until the end, he was released the other day when the roster was dropped to 53. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, I would imagine something happens by Monday, which is when Washington returns to practice. They're going to practice Monday this week, then day off, then Wednesday, Thursday, and then off Friday, Saturday, essentially. I mean, off at least in terms of the media. They may be doing some some uh, some light work in-house, but uh, no media day on those days. And then obviously the game Sunday at FedEx Field against Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, again, the plan is to have a preview uh, with our uh, with, with the Athletics Chargers beat writer Daniel Popper later this week. Um, speaking of the practice squad, uh, you know, a very interesting move by Washington um, oh, uh, the other day that they, they signed kicker Eddie Pinheiro to the practice squad. We have been asking all along, we're wondering all throughout the summer, would they bring in competition for Dustin Hopkins, it feels like the answer is finally yes. Um, it seemed to make sense. I remember discussing this at some point. I don't know if I think it was on this podcast, but at least with, with at least in the outside world, sort of the idea of if you were going to bring in competition for Hopkins, it would probably be after teams made their cuts because most of the interesting kickers out there are on somebody's team right now, even if it's just like you know as a number two kicker in camp or whatever it may be. Uh, Pinheiro uh, kicked uh, for the Bears in 2019. And uh, we'll see. It'll be interesting to hear from Ron Rivera why they decided to do that. Um, whether it's a warning for Dustin Hopkins, just in case. I don't know if there was some sort of an injury. Or look, Hopkins has been obviously, you know, ha- had a little bit of a shaky preseason. I think he was four for seven overall. But, you know, uh, he-, he struggled from distance. Pinheiro has a clear leg. If you've seen any of his um, videos on Twitter, he has uh, he's got some leg. Just there's also a reason why he hasn't been in the league. So we'll see how that um, he hasn't been in the league since 2019. I believe he was with the Colts in camp. I want to say, um, but in any event, that is something interesting to keep an eye on for sure. Um, and then lastly, as I mentioned, practice on Monday. Ron Rivera told us the other day that he expects to see Curtis Samuel out there Monday. We have yet to see Curtis Samuel this entire time. Not no signs of Curtis Samuel. Sounds like he'll be back. Um, what that means for the game against the Chargers, we'll, we'll have to see. Rivera basically said he's either all in or he's not going to play. So it's not like he's sort of in. They can maybe use him for 10 plays, limited package. No, he said if he, he can go, he can go. If he can't, they'll move on, and, and, they, and he feels like they com- have comfortable with their other options. Obviously, we've seen an entire summer with Terry McLaurin and Cam Sims and Deami Brown and Adam Humphreys. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, they, they also kept Dax Mill and DeAndre Carter. So they definitely have receivers. Um, but you know, obviously they signed Curtis Samuel for a reason. He's a, he's a big time playmaker and we'll have to see what he can do. So obviously that, I think that's going to be the big story on Monday, 
beyond possibly what's going on with the kicker situation. Um, so we'll get to we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about those things as the week progresses. Um, all right, let's get to the to the indispensable list. I really I I, I like my lists, and this one is always a fun one. For me, because I think typically, you know, it's 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 sort of easy to say, well, best, you know, you know, I mean, I'm, you, you know, you can imagine who the best players are on, on on any given team, or if you want to say the most valuable in certain ways, I just think indispensable adds a new element because it's not just about the individual player; it's about what happens if something happens essentially to that player. It's you know the um, you know, the wins above wins above replacement kind of stat. And there may be some numbers out there that tell us some of these things. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just looking at a list and coming up with names, how I how I see fit. But I do think this is, um, uh, you know, this has nothing to do with will they go to the Super Bowl per se or, or will they win the NFC East or will they flounder. It just has to do with, as I look at the roster, who are the guys that I think are, I guess, to some degree going to make and break this team, you know, in that if they have a great season, then Washington should have uh, some good fortune. If they don't, if they struggle, then, you know, we'll have to see what happens. Um, let's just jump in to it. Um, I'll, I, I'll go 10 to 1. Does that work? All right. 10 to 1. We'll start with number 10. I went with Brandon Scherf. Again, if we were just talking best players, he would probably be, you know, Top five, I guess, something like that. And I'm not going with ten is definitely not an intended intended dig or anything by like that. And you know, obviously, it's still pretty good. Um, but obviously, Brandon Scherf's been hurt a bunch uh, in, in the last few years, and they've been able to sort of plug away. They do have some guard depth. We think Eric Flowers, it looks like, is going to start at left guard with Wes Schweitzer able to to fill in in either left or right guard. There's also Sadiq Charles who started. One game last year, only obviously played, you know, barely played in the game before suffering a season-ending injury, but he exists as well. So, you know, I guess my thinking is that, look, Brandon Scherf is one of the best players on the team. They may have some decent enough options, and since he has continually been hurt, it's not like we, you know, we haven't seen them have to deal with this before. So, to me, um, I, I think Brandon Scherf makes the list, but I went with number with, with number 10. For, for what it's worth, I, I do feel that, you know, for all the talk we've had about quarterbacks this year, about the playmakers, Curtis Samuel, uh, Antonio Gibson's toe, things along these lines, that the offensive line, uh, you know, I, I think it's a big question to to a degree. Not when I say a big question, I don't necessarily mean that means it will be it will be bad or a struggle. I just mean it's a question, right? I mean, we talked a lot at the start of training camp about Sam Cosme, and he was obviously, you know, just taking some some usual adjustments. At the start of camp, especially going against Chase Young and Montez Sweat, he picked up the picked up his play as camp progressed, and we haven't even talked about him as much of late. He is still a rookie right tackle, and he's going to face Joey Bosa at some point in the in the first game, and it'll go from there. And rookies on the offensive line at that position can can it can have a tough go of it, and you know we'll see what happens. And plus, you have Charles Leno on the left side. And look, I mean, Leno has been a solid uh, tackle in his career. But, you know, I mean, you know, it's sort of how I view Morgan Moses when he was here for most years. I expect solid work, but it's not like that we haven't seen some downside. The Bears moved on from him for a reason. I don't think everybody around the league sees Leno as like some screaming upgrade. 
um, necessarily, but at the same point, he's obviously been a good player in his career. So, um, you know, new tackles on both ends. We'll see how that goes, but I at least wanted to mention the offensive line here. So Brandon Scherf in at number 10. Number nine, I went with Deron Payne. Obviously, defensive tackle is where this team has more depth than any position in 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 uh, on the roster. When you have Deron Payne, John Allen with Matt Ioannidis and Tim Settle, you know, obviously there's a hierarchy there, but you could feel like you could go with any of the four and play them and feel pretty decent about where you're at. So the reason why Deron Payne gets in here is just the, the, the talent. He's their top run stuffer. You mentioned uh, in, my, in my conversation with Greg Cosell the other day when I asked him who's the guy on this team that he just likes watching play, and he said Deron Payne really stood out uh, to him. Um, and and I'd mentioned that the previous year, Jack Del Rio said the guy he liked watching on tape the most was also um, Jack Del, was also Deron Payne. So um, from just a pure talent perspective, with what he can do specifically stopping the run, just thought it was worth getting him uh, getting him in there. So Deron Payne comes in at number nine, number eight. I'm going with William Jackson. Obviously, Washington signed the cornerback in free agency. It was one of the two guys they gave a big multi-year contract to, the other being Curtis Samuel, uh, whereas Samuel hasn't played at all in uh, this summer. Jackson's been in and out a bit, and it's, you know, it's hard to say exactly what to make of his summer, right? I mean, early in camp, he was facing Terry McLaurin a lot in these one-on-one drills, and these things are completely geared towards helping or towards favoring the receivers. That worked out that way. McLaurin got the better of him uh, often, and, you know, there was a reason, I think, why we have all sort of talked about the idea of Jackson, who played mostly in man concepts in Cincinnati, a little more zone look here with Washington. What does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean squat, um, you know, Corner, they're, they're, they're zone man concepts uh, all the time, depending on the player, the circumstance, what have you. Um, you know, I'm not too worried about it with Jackson, but at the same point, you know, it's something to keep an eye on. It isn't some sort of a, an adjustment for him. Um, the reason why, though, I, I I said him, look, they have three interesting cornerbacks, right? You've got you've got Jackson, you've got Kendall Fuller, who looks like he'll be playing a bit in the slot this year, and uh, Benjamin St. Juice. But you know, whereas before Jimmy Moreland was our the the other corner and you were just in our heads we're like okay well that's a you know a solid option I'm not saying these other guys are not but now we're looking at Tory McTire, Daryl Roberts and Troy Apke. Uh McTire had a really good summer that's why he made this team and Daryl Roberts impressed impressed the coaching staff late in the process and Troy Apke's here mostly for special teams but um you know if something were to happen to one of those corners really any of them I went with Jackson because I guess he is considered to be the best of the three if if something were to happen now, all of a sudden the guy, uh, you know, one of these other ones is going to be on the field a lot. And that's already with St. Juiced playing a, a bunch. And I think St. Juice has looked good so far, but again, he's a rookie, you, you know, with that is typically going to come some ups and downs. So the fact that you're already relying on a rookie and then if, if one of, if Jackson or Fuller were to miss time, now we're looking at, you know, guys who I, a lot of us didn't even project to be on the team, either at the start or the end of training camp. So, um, that's why I went with Jackson on top of the fact that obviously they, they, they signed him for a reason to be a, you know, I, I, I can't stand the term shutdown corner, but you know, to be a guy who can, who can defend against some of the better receivers in the, in the league um, whenever he's in there. So William Jackson for me at number eight. Um, how about this? Let's get to the one through seven uh, of the most indispensable Washington football team players right after this. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's get back to this. Number seven, this is lower than than perhaps he should be. Certainly lower if we were just talking about best player. I went with Terry McLaurin here. Now, obviously, a heck of a player, right? I mean, you know, been praising him for for three years now. Heck of a player, and he's their best receiver by a lot. But the reason I went with him seven, if that feels a little low for a couple reasons. One, it's not like they have an easy replacement for him. He's the most complete receiver they have. Curtis Samuel, you know, he's more of a, I'm not saying he's a gadget, but he's more of a gadget type receiver than he is like a full-blown wide receiver. Adam Humphreys is kind of limited to the slot. Cam Sims. Big target, but it's not like a guy you're going to, you know, sort of throw all your routes to. Deami Brown is probably the most complete receiver that I would, um, that I would say, but uh, beyond, beyond McCorn, but he's obviously only a rookie. So it's not like you would have an easy replacement for McCorn. However, they do have a bunch of other guys I just mentioned. They also have Logan Thomas. They also have Antonio Gibson and JD McKissick. So it's not like they wouldn't have receiving options. So, I went with McLaurin there at seven. Again, if we're talking best, he's probably somewhere in the top five. But for indispensable, I feel like Washington could get by a little bit. You absolutely throw this back in my face. <laughs> if he misses time, knock on wood, and the, the passing attack falls apart. But I went there with McLaurin. Number six, how about Cam Curl? I mean, we have talked about this big nickel, this Buffalo nickel position for a year and change now, and it feels like it's Cam Curl in that role when we talk about it all the time. And I know Ron Rivera has said that there's other guys that could play it, but it doesn't feel like, at the moment at least, that there's anybody else in the team that have that has Cam Curl's combination of passability, uh, the, the willingness to stick in his to stick his nose in around the line of scrimmage, uh, the versatility, you know, be able to play slot, be able to play. 
which is essentially what that what that role is to be able to play free safety, to be able to play strong safety. Uh, I, I think he's going to be out on the field a ton, you know, because you have Landon Collins and Bobby McCain. They have other options at that position, so I don't know if Cam Curl is going to be an every player kind of a guy, and and that's one reason the fact that you do have those other two guys is one reason to say, well, maybe he's not indispensable, Ben. You just said that the part of this exercise is what happens if somebody leaves, right? So you do have some other guys. I just think his versatility is so so interesting that this is a guy that I, I just feel like they're really game planning for a ton. And again, he can play all over the place. So I, I, I'm going with Cam Curl at number six. Again, not saying he's a better player than Terry McLaurin. It just feels like if he were to be out of the lineup, you know, yes, you could play um, the three nickels, or sorry, the three corners and go with Collins and McCain. Probably feel reasonable about that. Um, you know, R- Rivera said a guy like Khalid Hudson could maybe play that uh, uh, th- that big uh, nickel uh, position. So there, there may be some options. I just think Cam Curl's a pretty dynamic one. So I went with Cam Curl at number six. We've reached the top five. Number five, give me Cole Holcomb, right? Uh, not a guy who I would imagine most people would think in this range, but Here's my thing, right? Okay, so if you look at the linebacker situation, at the, as we start the season, Jamin Davis doesn't look like he's quite ready to make a significant impact. He will play. He will presumably start when they go into a 4-3 base um, as the Mike linebacker. When they go to a sub package, it looks like it'll be Holcomb and John Bostic um, holding down the fort for now. But, I, you know, I think it's Holcomb to me that's the guy who's going to be out there every play. And he's the one who should be out there every play relative to those options where things stand right now. Washington has experimented going with five defensive linemen. I don't know if that's going to be uh, often. It was less than it was. They used it more than any team in the league last year, but we're talking less than four snaps a game. There might be reason to increase that a bit, especially with Ioannidis back. But at the same time, you know, that's not something you can go with on every down. Um, But they were experimenting some with going with, you know, I believe I saw it at times going with five defensive linemen, five in the secondary, and then the one linebacker. I, I think Holcomb is poised for, if I say a breakout year, I don't mean he's necessarily going to the Pro Bowl or anything. I just mean I think he's poised to step up his game to show that he's their best linebacker right now. And if he were to go out, I, I mean, that would mean a lot of John Bostic, presumably, or Jamin Davis when he may not be ready for heavy workload. So I think Cole Holcomb is a pretty intriguing player. Again, not the best, not the most valuable, but an indispensable. I think Cole Holcomb ranks pretty high on this list. Number four. This is this, the next, the top four here get tough. Uh, number four. I, I went with Antonio Gibson. Now, when the, we were discussing whether Barber should make the 53 or not, my basic argument against it was, Look, obviously, if you have room, fine. But, like, if Gibson were to go down, it's not like you can just plug Barber in. He has not looked to be a viable runner in any real way. So, therefore, I um, – that's one reason I didn't have him on, on, on this list. Now, we've seen – or on, on the roster. Now, we've seen J.D. McKissick be a valued asset to this team last year um, as a pass catcher primarily, but also, uh, you know, as a runner. He's just not – he's just not built for every down work. And those early downs, you know, sometimes you want a more, you know, sort of – subtle just you know run between the tackles kind of guy that's not him um that might be Jared Patterson but I doubt it right he's such a small guy five foot seven supposedly so you know if McKissick and Patterson had to sort of take over you know obviously it's going to be a lot 
seemingly a lot more outside outside runs and, and, and trying to maybe set up the run via the pass to create some um, some lanes, some draws, some screens, what have you. But neither of those guys would would give you would give offensive coordinator Scott Turner that necessary um, you know sort of early down run between the tackles kind of a guy. Obviously, on top of that, Gibson's a heck of a player, dynamic talent. Um, you know, he, he is poised for a huge year, I think, assuming that toe doesn't injury doesn't flare up. So uh, I went with Antonio Gibson at number four. Number three, Logan Thomas. This Scott Turner offense, the, the, you know, the history of it says the tight end is involved. Heavily involved. Last year, Logan Thomas was involved big time, obviously. Had a career year. Got a new contract out of it accordingly. Boy, if he were to go down, I mean, let's not even really think about this because I don't want to put anything out in the air, but I guess I am. No, I'm not really. I'm just talking. I, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> uh, I mean, what are we talking about here? The, the tight ends behind Logan Thomas. You got a fourth-round rookie in John Bates. You've got... A, a, a journeyman veteran type in Ricky Seals-Jones, and you have the incredibly raw and inexperienced Samus Reyes, who will be playing his first NFL regular season game, if he's assuming he plays, Sunday against the Chargers, and it will be the, th- what, the third game of his entire life having played two preseason games. So really can't expect anything out of him for this year. That's a long-term play. If Logan Thomas goes out, I'm not saying you just completely eliminate tight end from the equation, but you kind of eliminate tight end from the equation in any real in any real way. And obviously you don't want to do that just from a game planning perspective. They, they like featuring the tight end. I, taking him out as much as anybody else would really, to me, reshape how Scott Turner would have to um, call plays. So I think Logan Thomas, not only is he coming off a really good year, but just the depth behind him, I think you have to, I go with him at number three. Number two, this is where, this is this is a debate, but I, I this might be really dumb. Feel free to yell at me through your, uh, through, 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 uh, as you're listening to this, you know, scream into the void here if you want, or, you know, tweet, tweet at me, email me, whatever you got. I went with Fitzpatrick. I went with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, typically you would think that the quarterback is always the most valuable position in profe- North American professional team sports. And it's not like there's some, you know, obvious, you know, go-to must start quarterback or even one with significant upside on the roster behind Fitzpatrick. However, obviously we've seen what Taylor Heineke could do last year in that spot start in the playoffs against Tampa Bay. Uh, Kyle Allen has started a bunch of games in his career uh, under Ron Rivera. And, you know, again, is a difference between saying, wow, this guy's your starting quarterback. You know, how many wins can he get versus, hey, this guy's going to have to play quarterback. How many, you know, what can he do for you? I think both of these guys have shown the ability to do something. If Fitzpatrick misses, you know, one, two, three games, maybe Washington get by, misses, the, you know, a chunk of the season or, or, or more. Well, then, you know, that could be a problem. That's why he's ranked pretty high up on this list. But, um, you know, and, and, and look, I guess the other thing with Fitzpatrick is, He's an upgrade over what they had last year, and he's a better quarterback than these two guys. But because of his history with the up and down, ups and downs, um, you know, of, of of his journey, then you know it's sometimes the downside is not going to be necessarily that dramatically worse than what you might get out of these other guys. Um, the upside may be significantly higher, but maybe the downside isn't. So that's why I went with Ryan Fitzpatrick at number two as opposed to the top spot, which you normally would think where quarterbacks would be. 
especially who's in the top spot. Um, kind of kind of cheated a little bit. I went with a tie. I went with Chase Young and Montez Sweat. I'm not separating these two because it's basically for the same reason. And that reason is we have no idea what would happen if either of these guys left the field in terms of depth. I mean, last year, Ryan Kerrigan filling in for these guys when, when Chase Young got hurt um, in that Cleveland game and then missed the subsequent game. Um, you know, it's not like, again, we, Ryan Kerrigan was, is on the downside of his career and all that, but at least he's an experienced player who can occasionally, you know, take down the quarterback. And at least from a mental perspective, he's kind of going to know what's going on. As we know, here's Washington's depth right now behind Young and Sweat. They have James Smith-Williams, a seventh-round pick from last year. Casey Tuhill, a guy they picked off off waivers last year, who basically, who, who missed all of preseason with a toe injury. And Shaka Tony, a seventh-round pick this year. If, if Chase Young or Montez Sweat were to miss time, I would imagine that somehow they incorporate Matt Ioannidis into the starting lineup but uh, or at least use him more, but at the same time, you would lose the, the edge rush perspective. Um, it probably is stupid to say it's not Fitzpatrick over these guys, but when you factor in that the defense is supposed to be the strength of this team this year, particularly on that defensive line, that these two guys are the ones who are going to be getting after the quarterback for the most part. I mean, we'll get we'll see some sacks from Ioannidis and maybe, maybe Allen, maybe Settle as well, but I think... It's going to be Sweat and 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 Young who are going to be leading that charge. They've talked about setting records, a team record for sacks. Mazel tov. If they don't, if one of them misses time, I just don't know what they're doing at that spot that where you can feel okay, this is going to work. It doesn't mean it couldn't happen, right? I mean, we see this happen all the time. Um, where, where, where nobody's come in and all of a sudden they become somebody's. That could absolutely happen. Maybe Smith Williams is the bomb. Uh, maybe Shaka Tony starts just shocking everybody with, with, with his play. All that's possible. But right now, the, the drop from Chase Young and Montez Sweat to everybody else that they could possibly use as a defensive end pass rusher is pretty severe. For what it's worth, um, I, I could have gone Young and Sweat on different lines. Again, I decided to cheat and put them on the same line. If you made me pick one of them, well, you can't. This is my podcast, so I'm not going to. Tough. Good try, though. Nice one. <laughs> uh, I think they're both going to be really good years. We'll, we'll, we're going to do a season preview over on The Athletic this week, um, and we maybe we'll get into some of that Chase Young versus Montez Sweat aspect. Not that they're going against each other, but just in terms of you know who has the better year. Um, uh, if we get to that, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe share some thoughts there, or we can talk about it later in the week. So anyway, so that's my most indispensable list. Again, in reverse order, number 10, Brandon Scherf, then Deron Payne. William Jackson, Terry McLaurin, Cam Curl, Cole Holcomb, Antonio Gibson, Logan Thomas, Ryan Fitzpatrick, with Charles, with Chase Young and Montez Sweat number one. Um, just for a couple names not listed, I could have gone Leno as I mentioned, but look, I mean, you know, Cornelius Lucas did a decent job last year. They obviously went, decided they needed to go out and get another left tackle anyway and draft a right tackle on Cosme, but nonetheless, less Lucas was fine, and um, you know they do have Sadiq Charles as well. Um, didn't go with Curtis Samuel. Uh, you know what? It's a, it's just the, I haven't seen him. So, uh, you know, but, but also at the same time, while he's very unique with his versatility and his playmaking, Washington does have other guys at that spot. Um, I even debated Tress way, not going to lie. Uh, it's, you know, the, obviously the punter is not typically a guy that you're going to, uh, want, want to pick for something like this, but we know how important he's been for this team in, in, in the, over the last few seasons. And if this team is going to be sort of a defense first group, which isn't to say the offense is just going to be, 
you know, sort of lame that, you know, having the punter in Tressway to, sh- to, to, to shift the field position will be huge. Uh, it's huge in any capacity, but I think it'd be particularly huge if it's the defense leading the way and the offense, uh, you know, sort of trying to help out as best it can. Uh, Tressway putting the ball, um, you know, p- putting putting the opposition um, in long field situations, it will go a long way towards this team having success. So he would somebody that I would consider. Um, you know, th- th- there could be some others, but that's my group. So let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at Ben Standig. Send me an email, bstandig at theathletic.com. Put up a smoke signal. Write comments in the, on the iTunes section. Whatever you got, let me know your top 10 list of the most indispensable players on the Washington football team. Um, all right. Um, so that's it for for that. Uh, you know, again, more to come this week. Talking about the Washington football team. Uh, you know, there's a big game this week. There's things to discuss. And I'm interested to hear what you guys think about um this team, this season, there's a lot to consider, and we'll do that for sure later this week on the Standard Room Only podcast. Uh, for now, though, we'll, we're going to shift focus a little bit towards the Wizards. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about um, what what to make of their offseason, the coaching change, the roster, uh, Aaron Holiday is part of the new additions, where do they fit into the East, uh, my guy Jay Michael, formerly the Wizards and Indiana Pacers beat writer, now Manager, now sports editor at the Orlando Sentinel. We talked a couple weeks ago about the Wizards, and um, it's a fun conversation. Always an interesting time with the live wire, Jay Michael. We'll get to it right now here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, going to pivot over to the Washington Wizards because they have pivoted off of their roster from last year, made a wholesale uh, wholesale changes. Russell Westbrook gone, 8,000 other people are in, and the question is, on some level, does any of it really matter? Uh, we're going to get the insight here. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll babble a bit, but also here, none other than the the bad boy of the NBA. I don't mean Dennis Rodman. I mean Mr. J. Michael from the Indianapolis Star. What's happening? How are you, uh, how are you coping here? You did you, you not go to Vegas. Did they did Vegas not let you in or you decided it wasn't for you this time? I decided it wasn't for me. I didn't want to uh I thought about going just because I really wanted to get out of the house and go somewhere, but I just feel wasn't I still wasn't comfortable with uh traveling just yet. Um so I chickened out and uh there will always be next year. There will always be next year. I mean, this is the first year I've haven't gone I mean, basically since John John Wall entered the league, I've gone almost every year in some capacity, obviously not last year because it didn't exist but uh yeah i'm kind of bummed on the other hand yeah you can see you see on tv it's not exactly the whole fun of the vegas is the social component i don't mean the vegas part but just like walking around the uh the unlv uh setup there and it's not clearly is going to be as interesting because of the setup uh, because of the situation we're all in so oh well it is what it is plus i got training camp with the football team so i couldn't have gone anyway um but the Wizards are there, and I don't really want to talk about their summer league team because other than the first-round pick, Corey Kispert, there's nobody – we don't care. There's nobody interesting there. <laughs> but, but the roster is all kinds of interesting. And you you know one of the guy, the new guys in, in Aaron Holiday. You cover him from the Pacers. We want to get your take on that. But you obviously covered this team for a long time. You you you, you're, you, you cover an Eastern Conference team that was battling the Wizards last year, and uh, you know, you're aware of all the things happening. So I want to start with this. It's not – like I – 
I don't believe I'm a hater. I believe I'm a realist. And if the, if there's praise to be warranted, we'll get it. And if there's not, then we go that way too. In this case, I think there's praise to be warranted for Tommy Shepard. And I want to know, I want to get your view. And I just lay it out like this. 18 months ago, whenever they still had John Wall, the worst contract in the NBA, arguably, coming off the Achilles, he's making gobs of money. There's almost nothing they can do other than what they did. Literally was what they did. Trade him to Houston with a first-round pick to take to take Russell Westbrook, who also had a problematic contract, but he wasn't dealing with the injuries. And it couldn't have worked out much better, I don't think, for the Wizards. They get the playoff year with Westbrook, and then they – from that because Westbrook is so important he gets his rehab his value gets rehabbed they switch him they he also one year left less on his contract they trade him effectively with some with some second round picks for Kyle Kuzma Montrez Harrell Contavious Caldwell Pope three guys that could play in a rotation and in, in for, for even a title team they get the 22nd pick which they then traded to your Pacers for Aaron Holiday and the 31st pick that they used on this flyer kid isaiah todd and then because there was still so much money left over in the deal they were able to slide in the spencer dinwiddie contract into this and make it all one big deal that is a pretty good haul considering a year prior you had john wall and you literally could do nothing with him we'll get to what it means for the bigger picture but in terms of tommy shepherd a guy you dealt with what do you make of that assessment that actually on this on these moves he actually did a pretty good job um you know, when the job was initially open and they were doing all the searching, um, you can go to my Twitter feed. I said, give Tommy Kurt Shepard the job multiple times. Um, and so many people get like, well, he worked on Ernie, therefore it's his fault. So, you know, using that kind of simplistic, simpleton sort of logic, which, you know, goes to show you that, you know, just because somebody works under someone who you thought wasn't really good at their job doesn't necessarily reflect on them. Well, you know, because the person in charge is the person in charge. You know, you can't be, you know, saddled with somebody else's mistakes. And I, I thought Tommy, based off my experience with him for years, is a pretty straight shooter. Um, he's one of those guys, as you saw with the John Wall trade, he's not emotionally attached to these things like, man, we can't trade John because of what he means to the city, which you hear a lot of fans making that sort of argument. And when you're doing that job, you can't, that, that can't matter. I mean, that doesn't matter when, when, when Pat Riley let Dwayne Wade walk, right? There are yeah. times where you just have to make decisions like that. That's not going to be popular with your fan base, but it has to happen because you're in a business of, you're not emotionally attached that way, even though, you know, you, and if you are, you have to be able to separate yourself from it it make a, the best decision for the team. And, you know, Tommy did, you know, Tommy was playing, I believe, multiple steps ahead when he acquired Westbrook because even though Westbrook's season didn't start out well with Washington, he didn't look good at all. He got healthy. He started playing better. Um, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of, uh, and this was a much lesser degree, but similar to when the, when the Pacers had Victor Oladipo, I reported that they're going to get rid of him as soon as they possibly can but they can't get rid of him because there's really no market for a guy coming off the injury that he had, you know, and I reported that he was asking other teams, can I play with y'all? People thought it was absurd. Now what happens in January of this season? They trade him. Why? Because people got a chance to see, okay, he's able to play now. He has some value. And there was a trade that needed to be made. 
and that they saw that he was at least serviceable, at least during that time, um, they were able to move him in a deal and get Karis LeVert for him in return. Well, Westbrook didn't start out the season well against Washington. There's no way Tommy could have moved him in season at that point, even if he wanted to. But then you see the product of, you know, what happens when he finally starts playing well. And I, I'm pretty sure, uh, I'm almost positive he knew that Westbrook uh, and the Lakers were a union that's bound to happen. So you make that move knowing that you're going to end up making another move anyway where you're going to really get what you want. And that's what he's what he's turned out to do and, and flip it into so many various assets. But these kinds of things take time. And I think that's what the whole... The, the having patience and the one thing that you have to have in that role versus what a person sitting in his chair at home watching a game doesn't have is time to see 18, 24 months down the line. Whereas, you know, fans and, and, and sometimes even media, they want instant results and it doesn't necessarily work that way most of the time. So I think Tommy's done a really good job and people kind of forget too, he inherited a situation that was the worst in the league, salary cap wise, the talent wise, the all the other variables that go into building the team. He inherited a whole load of crap, and to expect him to have fixed all of that within six months, which some people did, is absurd. And you know, sit back, shut your mouth, let it all kind of roll pan out, then make an assessment. There's no different than a draft pick, Ben. Like sometimes a draft pick, or when we say, "Oh, this this team won the draft." Well, you don't really know if they won the draft, not this year, even though that could be an indicator. But you really don't know how the draft really pans out after you look back at it after three or four years. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to this with Tommy Shepard. Give it that 12 to 24 months, uh, probably closer to 24 months, given what he was dealing with, and then make a call. And I think it's, it's pretty clear, even if this doesn't work out, best case scenario, he's giving them a chance and putting them a chance in a position to be successful and then build on that in the future. And, and you know, what yeah. more can you ask for when you look at what they were? Right. I would say that, like, look, it would be easy for any of us to sit to point after the fact they shouldn't have done this or they should have done that because of the results. And obviously it's great to have that sort of fortune teller vision, but none of us, none of us do. The best you can do is make logical, reasonable moves that put yourself in the position that, you know, if things go right, this is the direction we want to go in. And that was something that they weren't doing before enough. It wasn't all, you know, it wasn't nearly as bad as everybody made, always made it out to be with Ernie Grunfeld area. You couldn't have had that John Wall, Bradley Beal resurgence. If, you know, with, without Ernie Grunfeld doing something right. But on the other hand, it did always feel like they were leaving too much on the table. There was too much short-term thinking. Um, and it does feel like to me, when I look at the moves he's made for the most part, Tommy Shepard, they're heading in the right direction of a way you want to go. It's incremental moves forward. Like to an example, like right now, you know, part of the issue with the Westbrook and wall contracts was just that they were so massive. You couldn't just like easily flip them for, for other things. Uh, if you, even if you wanted to And like, whereas now this roster has so many movable contracts that the wizards are potentially one of those teams where we see it every year. There's some veteran that comes up, that, that wants out of their situation or, you know, before the season or during the season. And the wizards now all of a sudden have stuff to trade. You can take two, three guys on this roster plus a pick and actually move them again. I'm not saying they have some great roster. I'm just saying like they have movable pieces that you could, you could potentially do something with that they didn't have before. And like I said, that the haul that they got back for Westbrook, 
in totality is pretty good, even if Westbrook yeah. is by far the best player um, in, in that lot. And so, yeah, and also to your other point, just, you know, it's so it's so simplistic thinking to just say, well, Tommy Shepard was attached to Grunfeld, therefore it's insane. I mean, I thought it was insane that they took three months to look for a coat for a GM and then just hire the guy down the hall. That to me seemed pretty <laughs> insane. But okay. Um that aside, he's got the job, he's done a good job with it. And now also we'll see, right? Scott Brooks was here, like even though he was part of the group that hired Scott Brooks. Scott Brooks was the coach making $7 million a year. I don't know what, how much, how much influence Tommy Shepard could have on Scott Brooks, even if he wanted to. Now he's hired a new coach. So presumably he can have more influence on Wes Unsell Jr. And we'll see how that goes as well. Now, all that said, here comes the pivot. <laughs> here comes the pivot. Okay. You mentioned the idea of like even Pat Riley traded Dwayne Wade. But I would assume that Pat Riley actually wanted to do that, that there wasn't necessarily pressure from ownership to do otherwise, even though Dwayne Wade's an icon there and maybe ownership could have said, eh, we don't want to do that. But okay, Pat Riley's Pat Riley, right? Tommy Shepard doesn't have that status. I'm convinced that in general, the Ted Leonsis puts his thumbs on the scale as an owner has the right to do when it comes to a lot of these choices. And to me, I've said this before, if you were going to, I didn't think you could trade Westbrook to the way they did or that taking on bad money or having to give up more picks, they did that and got guys back. The second you did that, you should have traded Bradley Beal because where is this team going? Now, after after I just praised on all the stuff they got, where 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 is this team? You, you cover a team in the East who last year dealt with a bunch of injuries and didn't, you know, they were in the play-in game but didn't make the top eight the way the Wizards were able to do. Um, I think most people would say the Pacers are going to be better than the Wizards this year when you bring back all their players. That's not counting the seven, all the other teams were already ahead of the Wizards, not counting the Bulls have gotten better, it appears. Um, you know, the Bucks, the Nets, maybe the Sixers, depending on what happened to Ben Simmons, are way ahead of the Wizards. Um, the Miami Heat are probably better. The Atlanta Hawks made the conference finals. Like all that said, I don't know where the Wizards are. This feels like it's the classic. They just want to make the playoffs for the playoff money's sake. And to me, they should have traded Bradley Beal, who I said keep. Before, when you had Westbrook and Wall, I would have traded him and started over because you don't want to be in the middle, and they are as definitively in the middle as you could possibly be unless some rookie, you know, one of these young guys really shoots way up. Where are you on on that aspect, even if we're praising Tommy Shepard? And I'm not saying this was his call. I don't know. But the idea that they kept Beal, where I think they probably should have gotten rid of him. Yeah, you know, and that's a good point about, like, when I mentioned Pat Riley. Pat Riley runs that show in Miami. Mickey Harrison, the owner doesn't run the show. Pat Riley, I, I know for a fact, has told told Ariston, I got this. So when moves are made, he kicks he's kicked Ariston's family out of the players lounge. Like that's how much <laughs> that's how much sway Pat Riley has in 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 uh, Miami. Um so yeah there's no doubt Ted has a thumb on the scale on some of these things. And you know if if if, if Ted says no I'm not gonna do it then you know he's gonna override anything that management wants to do. Um, but I think here's what you do with B. Regardless of what you end up doing, if you are going to trade him, trade high. Now, I mean, you, that sounds like, well, duh. Well, what I mean by that is <clears throat> don't wait until he's 32 years old and then decide huh, you should try to move him. Or he gets a, a season in an injury, and then you're thinking that you need to move him. You really need to move him now because it, it, then it's too late. How many teams have you seen? 
hold on to a player a year too long. And then it's, you know, he's kind of gone over that cliff and you'll never see those days again. And those offers will never be that great. And, and also, by, whatever you, by the way, a lot of times when that happens, the team has some realistic chance of contending for the thing, for the top, for the conference yeah. title. God bless the yeah. Wizards. Bradley Beal's a heck of a player. I like some of the other guys. They're not contending in the East. They don't really have a chance to contend in the East. Even if Rui Hachimura has some big leap, they're not contending in the East. So that's what I'm saying. Like, what's the upside? You're going to wait until, by the way, he still hasn't signed his extension. Now, there's a sense, I guess, that he will, but that hasn't happened yet either. So he could, in theory, walk sooner than later or force a trade out. That's, a, that's another big, it's not like he has a five-year contract he's sitting on. But anyway, but here's the other here's the other thing I do understand though from a management and ownership perspective. If you trade Beal and you don't get another All NBA caliber player back, let's let's face it. When you come when it comes to teams like you know the Wizards and the Pacers and you know I know people say oh how dare could you compare the Wizards to the Pacers? Washington is a much bigger market, but it's not viewed the way you would think it should be, like a New York or an LA. Right? right. Washington isn't. Yeah, I think that's the other thing that people kind of confuse. They look at the numbers of D.C. and all the fan, like, but it's still not viewed around players with the league like this glamour market, that which it should be, right? And that that's – you got to put that on ownership. That's not on the front office. To me, that's on the ownership. Um, and so, you know, um, and so if you look at it that way, you understand, like, you can't lose an all-NBA guy and not get – an all NBA guy back or a guy who has all NBA potential. And that comes down to putting asses in seats because, you know, know, yeah, you can have a bunch of good players, but if you don't have that star, the guy who, the guy who the average person who's a casual fan who might plump down $750 seats for him and his four family members. So that's a whole lot of money to go see a wizards game if that person who's a casual fan who has money is going to come to a game, he's probably one of going to see Bradley Beal. And if you take out Bradley Beal and you just get a bunch of other guys who are mid-level playing guys, then that guy might probably won't go there and pluck down that kind of money. And so that's a concern for owners in, in all markets that aren't considered, you know, New York and LA and, and whatever. There, there are few, there are few markets like, you know, like Oklahoma city where, you know, it's so boring there. They'll pay to see anything. So it's <laughs> so you can get away with trading away all your stars. You're still going to have a bunch of people show up there because there's nothing else to do. And that's and that's the point, right? Like it's I, I totally get that. And that was one of my arguments for keeping Beal all this time was like trading Bradley Beal. How are you getting back this guy who, again, 28 an ascending town. He just made all NBA, you know. You never know about anybody for sure, but seems like a pretty good role model type guy. He's active in the community. There's lots of reasons. And, and he's homegrown. He, he wants to be here. All these reasons are reasons to keep him. And I'm not arguing against any um, any of that. However, the question is, uh, what what's the goal here? If the goal is win a championship, then keeping Bradley Beal doesn't seem to work to me um in that in that context because they're not there bradley beal is not a guy who's at the top of the food chain so yeah so jay michael dropped off for a second i just kept rambling on about this situation and now he's talking to me on zoom with his phone sideways so this is a this is this is this is fun oh there we go um so anyway i was just saying that um 
I totally agree. Like in terms of the asses and seats, keeping Beal makes sense. He's a home homegrown product. He's ascending town, all that. But if the goal is to win a title, realistically, that's not Bradley Beal as the one as the first player with the other things they have, not going to to get it done. I, I will say that like unlike last year, where you kind of could see the ceiling because you knew Westbrook situation. I don't know what the ceiling is with this team exactly. Now you have a guy like Kyle Kuzma coming from the Lakers, had a lot of hype when he entered the league, kind of taper off a bit the last couple of years, maybe getting away from a, a, a LeBron situation where LeBron is so dominant that maybe that maybe, maybe he refines something that that spark he had earlier in his career. Maybe, um, you know, the, the Rui Hachimura or Denny Avdia go up another, another level. And again, they do have assets now to maybe make a three or four for one trade that gets them that guy that pushes more to, I don't know, but I'm just saying realistically, they, they were finally in a position after all this time of these rough contracts, you mentioned, I mean, look, they, they, they had the Jan Mahimi contract. He, he, he that mm. finally fell off. You had John wall. They had a lot of bad deals. They all fell off, but now you have Beal. It could have started over. If the goal was to win a title, they didn't. I'd again, I don't, I'm not putting that on necessarily on Tommy Shepard, but that, but, and again, this is an owner who said, quote, we will never tank a couple of years ago. And I think that he, he was pretty honest there. He wasn't saying that from a competitive standpoint. He was saying that for what you just said. There's an ass and seats component to this. We can't we have not proven in this market that we can we can start over, even if that's the best thing to do and get people to show up. And now you're doing it after a pandemic. I understand from a business perspective why they don't make that trade. Um let me pivot to Aaron Holiday. You've covered him. I liked him a lot coming out of the draft. The Wizards traded the 22nd pick that the draft they acquired from the Lakers for Holiday in the 31st pick. Um, he hasn't done, I guess, that much living up. He was like, he was a first round pick in 2018, the same year as Troy Brown. Um, and, you know, I don't think he's lived up to the hype. But I still I kind of like him from afar, but you've actually covered him. What are the Wizards getting? And did you like that trade from the Wizards perspective? It's a it's a good gamble. Uh, look, I've always said I've been saying for the last two years, and just about every radio podcast interview I do regarding to the Pacers when Aaron Holiday's name comes up, I've been saying for and I've, I've talked to his. He's had a couple of agents who I I, I have a good relationship with, and I've told them both uh, before he was traded. He needs another destination, um, you know. And and I've said to people with the Pacers, he needs to play somewhere else. And the reason being is. In Indiana, he always played out of position. Um, you know, his well, his first year uh, as a rookie, he played behind Darren Collison, and that was the year that Oladipo um, started to have issues with his knee. And I remember Oladipo missed like a month, month and a half of the season. Holiday played out of nowhere, and he just lit it up. I'll never forget. He came in in the game against Atlanta and, like, dropped, like, 16, 17 points, couldn't miss from three. Then against Utah, I remember him lighting him up in a game, a game or two later. Um, and it was like, wow, the Pacers have gotten the steal of the draft because he showed something. And then his his minutes started to kind of get dialed back a little bit more when Oladipo came back. Then Oladipo tore his uh, quad tendon in his knee, and he was done uh, that January. And Holiday's time, though, got kind of sporadic, and it was surprising. And, you know, part of the reason is there was a clash between him uh, and uh, Darren Collison when it came to, you know, so, some people thought on that team, some veterans that he didn't, that Aaron, they needed to hold Aaron back because they thought he was a little bit too aggressive. He's a six foot, six one point guard who has a shooting guards mentality. Um, I would say for comparison, I would say his ceiling 
would be a Lou Williams, which isn't a bad player at all, uh, who's much more committed to playing defense and physically stronger for a small. He's a little bulldog. Like, like the paces are really soft when it comes to rebounding, defensive rebounding. And, you know, you'll see tweets and videos from me where I was showing last year that Aaron Holiday was in there on switches battling with 6'10", seven-foot guys, boxing them out to try to help his team get the rebound while guys like Sabonis and Miles Turner were just standing there watching and not putting the body on anybody. Um, and that's what I like about Aaron Holiday. He's tough. Look, he's the smallest guy that he's going to play on he's that he's obviously sharpened over the years but he has a gunner's mentality in a sense that he can sometimes come in and he's looking for a shot a little too much he's not a good finisher inside the arc uh not a great finisher at the rim even though he's a really good athlete um you know his, his biggest thing i think is gonna be finishing and traffic at the rim over guys uh but man let me tell you even if he's even if his shot's not falling defensively there's no let up in how he plays and i just thought you know he just needs to be somewhere else because when he played with the Pacers with TJ McConnell in there who came, you know TJ McConnell came the last two seasons McConnell gets the, the duties as the one Aaron Holiday usually plays in three guard lineups as a three so that's why if you go back to when they played against the Wizards late last season you saw Aaron Holiday guarding Davis Bertans he wasn't guarding anybody close to his size he always got put against the guy at the wing and and so if you look at all the games last year where he was played in three-guard lineups, Brogdon, McConnell, uh, Aaron Holiday, he was the guy always playing out of position. So that's why I always said in order for him to maximize, I think he needs to be in a situation where he plays his natural position for a prolonged period of time, and maybe you can see exactly what he's got. But if he turns into something anywhere close to a Lou Williams, you know, even a little bit short of that, I, I still think that's a pretty good NBA career, and I think he has potential for that. So he's going into his uh, fourth season, right? Yeah. So he's going to be his contract. I assume, I assume that the, the 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 fifth year option I assume has not been picked up yet because I guess it's the Wizards' call, and we're not that'll happen right before the season starts, more or less. So if he was on the Pacers, would you say they should be picking up his fifth year option? Should they be extending him? Like, where would you be at from that perspective? Well, well, that, well, he's. No, I mean, I, I would, I would say his. Uh, well, hold up, he's in. The, this is year four he's going into, right? So this is the last year of his guaranteed on his rookie deal. So, yeah, he would be. So he, I would say, go into next season. I'd let him go in unrestricted and and make it, make him prove it uh, that that he's worthy of a uh, a second contract of uh, some significant value. It when in the Pacers' perspective, I mean, they already had T.J. McConnell. It wouldn't have made sense for them to try to come to terms with Holiday on a longer deal and lock him up when he was the number three uh, point guard in the rotation. So uh, it, just, that, it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have made sense for them. So the Wizards, they moved down not – they didn't give up a first-round pick per se. They moved down nine spots from 22 to 31 to do this. So I guess do you think that was uh, – you know, again, they have Bradley Beal. They've now signed Dinwiddie. You kind of figure they, they kind of knew that Dinwiddie would – or something they would get another point guard somehow before this. They have KCP as well. Is it? Do you think it was, it was a worthy risk that, like, I guess in theory they could make that he could be an under a restricted free agent after the year. He could be gone after one year, and they will move down nine spots for that to happen. Do you think that was a worthy move then by the Wizards? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think it is because to me it's a low risk, high reward move. Uh, unless you, I guess, <clears throat> if you're the Wizards, if you believe that the quality of the players that you're going to get in the draft between 22 and 31 were the same, I have no problem if you move down two or three spots, or you move down seven, eight, or nine spots. If if there's no drop off really in terms of the caliber of player, or if there's a guy in particular that you have targeted that you think you can get there, um, I, I got no problem with that. Uh, um, but in terms of Holiday, yeah, he's. I think he's I think he's a risk worth taking because I don't I'm kind of in the middle on him. I, I, I've, I've always been a, an Aaron Holiday truther in the sense that I just like I think if we see him put in another position, he has to in order for him to maximize whatever his maximize maximizer for him is, it has to be outside of Indiana because it's just the way the team is constructed, the way they play, even under different coaches, McMillan and Bjorkman, Aaron Holiday's kind of all always the odd guy out so um i think he has i think he has potential to be uh you know you know an everyday rotation guy and i think when the wizards made that move uh you know they, they didn't have any guards on the roster officially yet right because they had all the moves they had made right so you need a backup guard somewhere um and you know look when it comes to these deals like with dinwiddie and the rest of these guys all of this stuff was was already kind of figured out before free agency even opened <laughs> So <laughs> I don't think there was any mystery on who their who they thought their starting uh, point guard was going to be. They already kind of had that targeted. Uh, nobody nobody goes into free agency uh, with a blank slate and then tries to figure it out on the fly. If anybody believes that, you are I got an oceanfront property to sell you in Kansas. Um, this stuff has kind of been mapped out already. Um, but no, I think Holiday's a good a good gamble, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But um, I think it has potential. He has potential to do so. And he's on a team where, you know, it's not a, it's not a, it's, it's got some team players with experience. But yeah, I think he has a spot where his position isn't as crowded as it was in India. Um, lastly, before I let you go, since you uh, cover the league and, and, and see all these guys, it can, the answer can be Holiday, could be Dinwiddie, could be any of the Lakers guys. Maybe it's Rui or Danny Avdia, I don't know who's the guy that like if B, if we say Beal and Dinwiddie or well okay if we say Beal and Dinwiddie are like the top two and there's gonna be that you know you need a third guy and again Dinwiddie's coming off an ACL and I don't think he's ever been an all-star but like you know he's a good player who's the third guy who's gonna come out of the who's gonna emerge if somebody's going to emerge to be that to be the guy so if the Wizards want to have hope of we really think we can compete in the east whatever that means Who's who's your best bet for that guy? And if the answer is, you know, keep 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 uh, keep digging, then that's the answer. Kuz, Kuzma. Yeah, gotta go with Kuz. By the way, Kuz, I'm gonna pat myself on the back when he came out in the draft. There's a shot at, at my old job. At my old job there, yeah, I'm patting myself on the back. At my old job there, I did a whole a did thing on sleepers. Kuzma is one of my guys, actually. Two of those guys are on the Wizards right now, Montrez Harrell and uh, and uh, Kyle Cooper. So I like to congratulate myself. Um, I, I I pat myself on the back for Montrez Harrell all the time. I saw him in a high school All Star game, and immediately <laughs> was like, "Oh my lord, who's that guy?" And been all in ever, ever since. But uh, keep going. Are you are you are you are you still patting yourself on the back for Seth Curry? By the way, absolutely. Every time he has a good game, he's like the, he was like the third best <laughs> player on the Sixers this year. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'll say you were you were hollering about Steph Curry, Seth Curry. Jeez, man. Every, like 
before he was even like locked in on the league. So yeah, when when you get these little victories like that, Ben, you got to hold on to them. Because Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I would <laughs> I would say Kuz. Um, I, I would expect it to be him. Um, I, you know, it's not it's not KCP. Um, you know, I, I'm I, I haven't I'm not quite sure enough on Rui to, to draw any kind of definitive conclusions. Um, you know, I will say this though about Dinwiddie, like you know, he's a good point guard. He can do some good things. I'm just curious what he looks like on the defensive end, which has kind of always been the knock against him as you know being an on-ball defender. But um, you know, I'm curious what he looks like uh, on that side of the ball. Um, and also, I'm, I'm like, huge by the. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I said also, I've, I've been a, I've been a huge Daniel Gaffer fan uh, when he was coming out. I thought the Pacers, the year the Pacers took Gogo Batase, uh, I, I, I knew they were going to take a big guy like that. Gaffer is who I expected it to be, and it turned out to be Gogo Batase. So I've always been a, a Gaffer fan. I think he really fits. He's a perfect Gaffer's a perfect example of what shows you like you got to put a guy like him in the right situation, and you can see him flourish. And you put him in the wrong situation. Eh, you kind of lukewarm on him. So I like Gaffer, but yeah, Kuz would be my number three guy if all things go like best case scenario, I guess I'd say for those. Got it. All right. Well, I mean, look, I think I think there is intrigue there with him because he did come into the league pretty hot and then it's kind of tapered off. And the question is to what, you know, was it just a, a lot on a bad team right off the bat or was there, you know, something to it? And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they use him you still got Davis Bertans there getting 16 million a year playing more or less the same position. And Bertans had all kinds of issues last year coming into camp out of shape for, because of whatever the pandemic or whatever. I couldn't guard anybody as he wasn't, you know, he can still shoot, but you got to play at both ends. Kuzma's going to be give him a better version of that. He made 36% of his threes. KCP made 41%. You got to get Denny Avdia minutes. You drafted Corey Kispert, who's a three, you know, as a rookie, maybe he doesn't play that much or he's a wing at least. And how do you get all if, if you don't make any other trades? How do you get minutes for these guys? And I'll be curious to see if Berton's where, where he fits in with a new coach. If he struggles on defense, you know they now actually have enough. And this is the point of, with the praise for the for Tommy Shepard. In previous years, they would have to play some bad some guys who just weren't giving you what you wanted because you didn't have too many other options. They have options now. Kuzma being one of them at the wing, and we will uh, we will see. Um, all right, I told you I wouldn't keep you for a marathon session, and I'm going to live up to that word at least. Uh, anything that people need to know, you want to tell them where to bother you on Twitter or, or, or read you or anything along those lines? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at this is J, just the letter, J Michael. And, Fantastic. Uh, yeah, don't, don't, you know, I, I have you bothering me. I have you bothering me enough in standing, so. Yeah, but you, By you, the way, you, uh, we, we didn't say we didn't mention Otto Porter. We didn't mention Otto Porter in this entire conversation. I'm impressed. Sure. Look, uh, comeback player of the year is it too is it too early to just engrave his name on the trophy oh, playing with Golden State? <laughs> oh, oh, goodness gracious. Otto, I, I heard Otto just sleeps on a bed of money, not a mattress, in the courtesy of the Washington Wizards. It's like it, it's like that meme um, from, from Breaking <laughs> Bad where uh <laughs> One of the henchmen just laying on top of all of Walter White's money. Yeah, hundred, hundred. I, look, I I think it's funny that Golden State went from Kelly Oubre to Otto Porter. I think that's pretty funny. And Otto Porter is a much better fit for them. He's got to stay healthy. It's been his issue. I think if he's healthy, I think he's a guy in the playoffs. People are gonna be going, "What the hell? Where's this been?" Because I guarantee you this. Well, uh, I guarantee uh, you this. 
if the if the if the opposing team tries to put the equivalent of Isaiah Thomas on him, Steve Kerr will get the ball to that guy as opposed to maybe what happened in another team. Oh boy, that is a low that is a low blow to if you guys aren't paying attention. That's that's to uh, Scott Brooks, right? Seven million dollar year coach for the Wizards at the time. Am I wrong? I think they beat the Celtics if he exploits that matchup. But... I, I like it. Yeah, what are you going to do? They're beating the Celtics. They're, 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 there's about a dozen things they could have done differently that even I think knew defensively and offensively deal, that they could have done to have won that series against the Celtics. They made Isaiah Thomas a legend in Boston because of that way they, the way they played against the Celtics. That was, you know, no disrespect to Isaiah Thomas, but he wasn't that good. Um, and but the Wizards, they, they made him look that good. Or excuse me, Scott Brooks made him look that good. A hundred, a hundred percent. It'll be good. It'll be good. It, 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 be good in, in, in the, to, to wrap up now that Tommy Shepard now not only has remade the roster, but now he has his coaching hire. And I think that's going to be significant too. That, that means a lot when you come into a role and you take it over a team that's not your team, but you also have coaching staff that's not your staff. And now he has a staff. That's his staff. Absolutely. All right, man. Appreciate it. Have fun in uh, in 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 uh, in the land that you inhabit, that which is not Las Vegas. Smart call. Stay safe. We'll talk. See ya. I do. See you. All right. That is it for this episode of the Standard Groom Only Podcast. Uh, thanks to Jay Michael for his time. Thanks to you guys for listening and checking out the podcast. Always appreciate it. For real, for real, for real. And uh, back more this week. I didn't say it at the top because I'm really bad about promoting my stuff sometimes. Um, but I'll have a new story up on The Athletic on Monday morning. I think it'll be up Monday. I don't know. I haven't talked to my editor yet. I think it'll be up Monday. It's sort of a putting putting a last look at to the, the front office with Ron Rivera, Marty Herney, Martin Mayhew, Rob Rogers, kind of everything that kind of went into this group. What do, what do outside people, uh, agents and others think of them and, you know, how they helped reshape this team. So that will be up on The Athletic on Monday, I think, or at some point this week. But that's it for now. Appreciate the time. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya.